What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zach Cronin. And I'm coming to you live from the frozen tundra that is downstate New York. I hope everyone's doing well. I hope everybody is having a blessed day, a blessed month, a blessed uh, week, whatever. I also hope that all of my Northeasterners are doing well, staying warm and recovering from the absolutely a tremendous amount of snow that we got over this past weekend this nor'easter came through and showed us that mother nature really does have the biggest cock on planet earth it is absolutely insane i've been living on long island for 20 years about 20 years or so and not once not once have i ever remembered getting this much snow we got a conservative estimate is at least a foot. Um, I saw other measurements up like 18 inches, 19 inches, 20 inches. And the shit came on Friday night, extended through Saturday morning and even into Saturday evening. It was absolutely insane. It was a full-blown snowstorm, one of one of which we haven't gotten in, in years, years. And after going out and shoveling, after helping my neighbor, my neighbor shovel, after spending two hours in the cold, sore, uh, I didn't even get to use the snowblower. My dad was all over the snowblower, so my mom and I were, we were, uh, we were deep in it. And after spending about two hours, about spending two hours or so, I think I'm pro. I think I'm pro climate change, man. I think I'm pro global warming. I never want to shovel any more snow ever again. No more. No more. Never again. If we get snow at any point this upcoming winter, I'm just going to be like, nah, fuck it. I'm going to Florida. I'm going to Texas. I'm going to wherever the fuck it doesn't snow because I'm over it. I'm over it. And of course, that was a joke. I'm not pro climate change. Um, of course, I, I have to make that. I have to make that very clear. Um, but we, we're, we're going to go ahead and we're going to get into the crux of what I want to talk about today. We got a big day. Not that much is going on in um, the basketball landscape, believe it or not. The NBA All-Star starters were announced last week. The reserves are coming again. Uh, the reserves are coming this Thursday. And I think around that time, is it Thursday? It's either tonight, It's either Tuesday or Thursday. And in a few days, in a few days, shit is really going to hit the fan because we are about a week away from the NBA's trade deadline. And... Dude, it's going to be a fucking whirlwind. I know for a fact. So other than that, it's been pretty quiet. I'm just going to go ahead and switch scenes over here. And we're going to start with the all-star starters. So last, uh, whenever the fuck it was, last Thursday, we were informed of the uh, NBA's all-star starters for the West. Steph Curry, John Morant, LeBron James, Nicole Jokic, four no-brainers more or less. And the fifth. Andrew, Andrew Wiggins, Andrew motherfucking Wiggins is starting for the Western Conference in the 2022 NBA All-Star Game taking place in Cleveland, in Cleveland, Ohio. And before we get into that, I just want to go ahead and rattle off the East starters. I'm sure these don't come as a surprise to anybody, but we got Giannis, we got Joel Embiid, we got DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Durant, and we got Trey Young. I don't see any issues with the Eastern Conference's starting five. Joel Embiid, Locke, 
Giannis, a lock. Kevin Durant, also a lock, despite the fact that he's not going to play in the All-Star game. So I think that Jason Tatum is going to be selected as his replacement, and that will open up another spot for a reserve. DeMar DeRozan, obviously best player on the Bulls, who are arguably the best team in the Eastern Conference, despite them losing Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball. The only controversial pick, and it wasn't even controversial to me, was Trey Young. Um, this dude is averaging like 30 and 10, more or less. I know the Hawks are not who we thought they were going to be this year. Things are not looking that well for them. I don't even really know where they stand at right now in the conference. Two games under 500, 10th spot in the East. Um, but that could very easily change. I mean, they got pretty hot. They've won, holy shit, they've won six of seven with, again, Trey Young. I'm sorry, guys. He's averaging 28 and 9. My apologies. Not 30 and 9 like I had originally uh, mentioned. Shooting fucking damn near 38% from three, 45% from the field for a guy who is as small as he is, who plays the way that he does. I mean, Trey Young's been having an all-star caliber season. I really don't care what anybody says. That was a non-controversial pick to me. And even the Wiggins decision was not that controversial to me either. And the only reason it wasn't controversial is because, I get it, the NBA and the way they position their players is odd, right? They have the two backcourt positions, the three frontcourt positions, no center. And because there is so much positional fluidity in today's NBA, it really does make it difficult to decide where guys are going to be because Devin Booker is considered a guard, which kind of makes sense. But more than that, Luka Doncic is considered a guard as well. And Luka, who objectively has been better than Wiggins this season, I'm just going to pull uh, pull his shit up real quick. Dude, Luka is at 26, 9, and 9, basically, shooting 44% from the field. But again, he is not considered a forward because he doesn't really play forward for the Dallas Mavericks he is without a doubt their primary point guard and I mean even basketball references estimates put him at primarily a shooting guard where he spends about 57 percent of his time but more than anything else he really is he really is a guard even though he is in a forwards body so that really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way but dude this is something that we've been well aware of Ever since like 2016, 2017, maybe even a little bit before that, it's been it's been so difficult to peg guys into only one position because it's more or less impossible unless that person is a seven-footer like Carl Anthony Towns, who is a center but doesn't really play like a center. I mean, this is a guy who plays on the perimeter, uh, not primarily, but he spends a lot of time out there on the perimeter. Same thing with Giannis. Giannis is without a doubt a five. But he is one of the most talented, one of the most versatile centers the NBA has ever seen. And then, of course, unless it's someone like Kyrie Irving or Trey Young, where they're considered point guards, but not really. I mean, Kyrie more than Trey Young, I feel like. But it's so difficult to peg people to one position. But even with all that said, there really wasn't anybody else who was going to be challenging Wiggins for this spot. Because you can't have Rudy Gobert because you kind of already have um, a center uh, starting in Nikola Jokic. I don't see why you would have two centers when 
it just that doesn't resemble that doesn't resemble anything that any current NBA team is running unless of course you're the Cleveland Cavaliers but Mr. Wiggins Maple Jordan as he is considered according to basketball reference is playing some of the best basketball of his career right this has been a trend ever since he came to Golden State I mean he was putting up numbers in Minnesota but now the way he puts up those numbers he's way more efficient he's finally finally rounding into the player that we all thought he was going to be coming out of um i forgot where the fuck he uh he played in college where did he play in college kansas much improved perimeter shooter is someone who the warriors can legitimately have as the number two to steph curry especially with clay thompson still kind of rounding into form but 18 points doesn't really give you that much outside of the scoring. I mean, four four rebounds is decent. Two assists. I mean, you're not expecting Andrew Wiggins to do anything more than that. I don't think. But his development on defense is really what has helped elevate him this season. In addition, in addition to his shooting and his um his shot creation. But that plays kind of right into the beef that everyone had with Andrew Wiggins to begin with. Is that you're gonna pick him? over Draymond Green, someone who undeniably contributes more to Golden State's winning than Andrew Wiggins because Draymond Green, we know that Wiggins is an improved defender, but Draymond Green is a defensive player of the year candidate, a legitimate playmaker who is as instrumental to the Golden State Warriors offense as Steph Curry is. Great rebounder, um, doesn't really do anything special on offense outside of his playmaking. I mean, he's he's an all right scorer, but you don't really need him to do that when you have guys like Steph, when you have guys like Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson and now Andrew Wiggins. But guys, guys, we have to realize that the NBA All-Star Game is a popularity contest, okay? It is effectively meaningless. I know that players around the NBA like the recognition of being an all-star. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna slight them for it because it is cool to be recognized by your peers, by the fans, by the coaching staff. But the all-star game, I don't think, is really like that crucial of a legacy builder for a lot of guys. Because someone like Draymond Green, for example, who is pro- who is probably gonna be voted into the all-star game as a reserve, he is more deserving of being on the all on one of the all NBA teams. And I fully think that's gonna happen. I without a doubt think he's gonna be an all NBA, an all NBA um selection this year. But no one's trying to watch Draymond Green in the All Star game. Guys, come on. We wanna see Andrew Wiggins. We wanna see him fucking dunk on somebody. Because that's why people watch the All Star game. And people watch even though really no one watches the All Star game. You watch it to be entertained to watch the playground style basketball that you don't get to see throughout the NBA season. Pardon me. You do it to watch guys like Steph and Kai and Dame, even though Dame's not going to be participating. Jason Tatum, KD, you go to watch these guys get fancy with the ball. You want to see someone get put in the blender. You want to see people get crossed over. You want to see people get dunked on. We want to watch. We want to watch Trey Young throw a 75-foot alley-oop to Giannis. That's why people are voting for these guys in the All-Star game. This is why Kyrie Irving was like the fourth highest-getting player in the backcourt. 
in the Eastern Conference. It's because no one gives a shit. And it's it's fan voting, guys. You, We as basketball fans do not deserve nice things, okay? The player voting is just as bad. I don't want to make it seem like the fans are the only ones here. But motherfucker, uh, my friend Justin told me that Jericho Sims got a player vote this year. And I was like, I don't even know who the fuck Jericho Sims is. Okay, Kyrie Irving got like 25 player votes or some shit. Or was it Kyrie Irving or was it Ben Simmons? Regardless, the players, the fans, the media, none of, the, none of these guys, none of these guys know how to vote properly. Even the coaches sometimes don't know how to pick their reserves properly. All things considered, though, I don't hate the starting fives for either team in the All-Star game simply because these truly are like 10, well, with the with the exception of... Andrew Wiggins, these are 10 of the best basketball players alive right now. I don't think anyone is going to debate that. I mean, between Steph, between Jokic, between Giannis, I mean, you got like five, you have five NBA, and you have five MVP candidates standing next to each other in this graphic. Six, I'm sorry, I'm excluding John Morant. And you want to know what? Damar is probably going to get some love in the MVP voting. Kevin Durant's probably going to get some love in the MVP in the MVP voting as well. Even though, all things considered, and I think we're going to talk about this in a little bit, uh, LeBron's out of the race. Jokic is probably the leader. I would say Jokic is the MVP favorite at this point, but you can make a case for Giannis. You can make a case for Joel Embiid. You can make a case for John Morant, and I'm 100% going to do that. But, I mean, fuck, DeMar DeRozan deserves a little bit of love as well. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the stream, the reserves will be announced at some point this week, and I imagine that this is going to cause a shit ton of controversy. And just so I don't forget, I'm going to... God, I really don't want to do this. So we'll do East Backcourt Reserves. Or, no, fuck. East Reserves. I'm 100% going to fuck this up so badly so the way it's typically done is you have the five starters the three front court starters and the two back court starters then you have one backup for each position so you get two um fuck what is it you get two back court reserves and three front court res- reserves and then you have just two we'll call, we'll call them wild cards because that's how i saw them in the washington post this morning so each team in total has seven players now the Eastern Conference reserves this is going to get a little squirrely because, again, we have injuries to worry about. And uh, I'm going to try my best to not fuck this up. But I think I think my two Eastern Conference backcourt reserves are going to be Zach Levine and Darius Garland. Other guys in here are James Harden, definitely. Um, I'm going to say Kyrie Irving, even though I really don't believe that Kyrie Irving is an all-star. He's not going to be an all-star, but he's definitely... People, motherfuckers are going to talk about him, okay? Um, Zach Levine and Darius Garland, for me, um, I'm trying to think of anyone else off the top. Um, Fred Van Vliet is going to get some love as well, definitely. Um, fuck. I think. Oh, Bradley Beal is another guy. Um, 
Where is he at? Yeah, Bradley Beal. I mean, dude's averaging fucking 23-6-5. Or 23-7-5 if we want to get... Uh, want to get correct with it, I suppose. But I think um, Zach Levine, without a doubt, because... I mean, him and DeMar are the reasons the Chicago Bulls are as good as they have been this year. And I know he's been out for a couple of games. I don't recall the extent of his injury, but statistically in terms of team performance, and I I think that I have to make it clear when I'm talking about about the uh, All-Stars and I'm picking my All-Star teams, I try to just make it as much of a popularity contest as possible. I look at player stats, and I take the player stats more than the team record. Because ultimately, you're rewarding the players for playing well. When it gets to things like, to other awards, awards that I feel are more, um, that have a higher magnitude. Again, I'm talking like MVP, um, Defensive Player of the Year, of course. Um, the All-NBA teams, when I'm looking at All-NBA teams in particular, I think that is kind of where you start to see the players who are on who are on more successful teams. Um, but beyond that, with the All-Star game, I really don't give a fuck about how, oh, about how the team is performing. So we have Zach Levine and Darius Garland. Um, I'm going to put Jason Tatum, obviously. Jason Tatum with... Jason. Jason Tatum deserves to be an all-star and he's going to start in place of Kevin Durant. So I'm going to have to pick another another person to back him up. I'm looking at guys like Jared Allen, Bam Adebayo. Well, maybe not to back up um what the fuck is his name? Not to back up Jason Tatum, but you know, other guys that will be in the running for an all-star game appearance. I'm looking at Pascal Siakam even though he's missed um 48 games. He's missed a handful of games. Oh, more than that, he's missed 13. Holy Christ. Um, DeMontis Sabonis, probably even though the Pacers fucking suck. Yeah, DeMontis Sabonis, um, Bam Adebayo, guys like that. Wow, I'm really, I'm really struggling. I should not have done this. I look like a fucking tremendous fool right now. Um, fuck, dude. Man. I wonder. I wonder, man. Does Miles is does Miles Bridges make an all-star team this year? Cuz like Jimmy Butler is another guy who would be in contention for a spot in the uh in the Eastern Conference front court, but he's missed a tremendous amount of time as well this year. And then of course, Chris Middleton, um I'm probably and you know, I think I'm going to give the edge to Chris Middleton. Or is it Jalen Brown? Do we get both Celtics? You know what? Yeah, fuck it. I don't give a fuck about the injuries anymore. Uh, So we're going to do Jason Tatum, and we're going to have Jason Brown. Jason Brown. Jalen. Oh, my God. Jalen Brown as his replacement. And then, uh, who do we go with next? Who do we go with next? I want to go back to... uh, I want to go back to Bam Adebayo. Let's make it. Let's see if let's see if Bam has a case to be made as an All Star. Where the fuck is he at? Oh yeah, not nah, definitely missed. Definitely missed way way too much time. Certainly. Jared Allen. 
16 points, 11 boards. Um, this is tough, dog. I did not, I did not expect, I did not expect to struggle this, uh, this mightily. I do not envy the coaches that have to make these decisions. But even, even with that, I think Chris Middleton might be the guy. I think Chris Middleton is who I'm rocking with. Yeah, yeah, we're going, we're going with the. Uh, we're going with Chris Middleton. And then at backup center, this is where we get Jared Allen. I'm going to throw him in there just for shits and giggles. Now, the last two spots. I feel that Miles Bridges definitely deserves a little bit of recognition in this regard. Um, but I can't really, like, see... How many games has James Harden missed? You'd think I would know. James Harden has actually been... What? Okay, James Harden has only missed seven games. I, I thought it was more. Holy fuck, James Harden's been healthy for almost the entire season? I'm so, I'm so delusional. Okay. So, I'm sorry. The starting... The, reserves back, the reserve backcourt is going to be Zach Levine and James Harden. And then I'm giving... Darius Garland. I'm giving the last two spots to Darius Garland and Miles Bridges. This is my Eastern Conference reserve. Zach Levine, James Harden, Jason Tatum, who will start in place of Kevin Durant, and then Jalen Brown to replace Jason Tatum, Chris Middleton, Jared Allen, Darius Garland, and Miles Bridges. There. Perfect. Clip it and ship it, boys. Now we have the Western Conference reserves. Fuck. God damn it. I got to do this again. Shit, man. So, since there is nobody representing the Phoenix Suns in the starting lineup, I feel that Devin Booker and Chris Paul should represent the Suns together. So, we're going to do Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Now, I don't know if... LeBron is going to miss the All-Star game because he has missed, I think, like, it'll be either four or five games in a row, and he could miss a couple more throughout the week. Um, he's dealing with some knee irritations, something like that. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with him, but as of now, he's playing. So um, we're just going to, we are just going to imagine that he is actually going to play. I think it'll just make everything way way easier now I think at the first the first um, forward spot I'm going Rudy Gobert okay I might just I might just bang out both Rudy Gobert and Draymond Green Oh wait, I can't. Motherfucker. Alright. I'm I'm sorry, Chris Paul. I'm not I'm not rolling with you. Uh wait, or should I? Yeah, no, I'm going with Devin Booker and Luka Doncic in the backcourt. God, I'm such a fucking douchebag. We got Rudy Gobert. Um, I'm gonna do Draymond Green as well, just because why not? 
even though every even though this immediately contradicts everything I had said earlier. Actually, wait a minute. Hold on. No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're going with We're going with Carl Anthony Towns. Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, Carl Anthony Towns, Draymond Green. I need one more forward. Who is this going to be? I have a strange feeling that I am going to land on Anthony Edwards. Because I don't know. I don't know who else I can pick to fill this spot. Brandon Ingram is somebody, of course. Um, but again... Anthony, like he has comparable numbers to Anthony Edwards, which is fucking crazy to me. Like, I'm surprised Brandon Ingram isn't better. But then again, this guy has missed a decent handful, a decent chunk of games. Do they even actually fuck? What? What? Is Anthony Edwards even a? Is he even like considered a forward? I don't think he is. Oh my god. <laughs> this is the issue and I absolutely I absolutely despise it well let's see can I still I'm wondering if I can still like vote I mean I don't think I can fuck I don't even know oh my god alright well let's see who are your picks for the east and the west It, this doesn't so Steve Ashburner says explicitly that he is fudging the position just for the purpose of doing this so you know what um, I think I'm going to do the same I think I'm going to do the same um, I'm going to put Anthony Edwards as a small forward and then for my two wild cards. My two wild cards. I'm going to do DeJounte Murray. Uh, I had who did I who else did I have? I had someone else I can't fucking remember. You know, I saw Donovan Mitchell right here and I'm wondering if I should just fucking I just bite the bullet and go with Donovan Mitchell because Donovan Mitchell has been sensational this year. So, you know what? I think I'm going to, I think I am Donovan Mitchell and that does it right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So Western conference reserves, Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, Carl Anthony Towns, Draymond Green, Anthony Edwards, DeJounte Murray, and Donovan Mitchell. I think that is a very decent reserves. Without a doubt. Same thing goes with the East. Again, James Harden, Zach Levine, Jason Tatum for Kevin Durant, and then Jalen Brown for Jason Tatum, Chris Middleton, Jared Allen, Darius Garland, and Miles Bridges. Um, I think that's I think that does it for this segment. All right, cool. Now we're gonna go ahead and move on. Oh, wait a minute. No. No, I'm not doing Miles Bridges. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, dude. I totally forgot. <laughs> I have to go with 
Bradley Beal. There we go. I'm sorry. I knew I fucked something up. I knew. I knew I fucked something up. God damn it. <laughs> God, I'm so I'm such I'm such a little dickhead. Okay. There we go. So now we're done. We're done with this. And there was this other story that I wanted to touch on. It really wasn't Oh, sick, dude. Russia US set for day of diplomacy after UN shutdown to be a fly on the wall watching Joseph Robinette Biden sit down with Vladimir Putin, Putin to be to be a fly on the wall, to be a fly on the wall in that meeting for sure. But now let's go ahead. This is this it was about my guy Spencer Dinwiddie. I'm sure you guys know before uh, Spencer Dinwiddie was a uh, a prominent member of the Washington Wizards. I would say he spent a couple of years in Brooklyn. I grew very very fond of Spencer Dinwiddie. I absolutely loved. I absolutely loved the way he developed in the Brooklyn Nets organization, turning into a Sixth Man of the Year candidate, one of the most uh, reliable point guards in the NBA. Right, a guy who could give you. 20 points, throw in six assists. The only issue was that his his efficiency never reached the same level as his peers. But beyond that, like he was a great guy to have facilitating an offense. Great size allowed him to, you know, glide through pick and rolls, allowed him to get into the paint with relative ease. But last summer, there was a sign and trade facilitated that sent Spencer Dinwiddie to uh, the Washington Wizards. And for some reason now, there is beef. There is some shit spewing. Uh, some shit boiling, I should say. Between Spencer Dinwiddie, apparently, and between him and the players, the other players for the Washington Wizards. So the original report was courtesy of Kevin O'Connor. And I'm once again back at the the just the uh the incredible institution that is the New York Post, who is has who has aggregated this report. And it starts. Spencer Dinwiddie's days in D.C. are reportedly reportedly numbered. Quote, the Wizards want to move Dinwiddie because he looks like a shell of, of his former self and his teammates don't want him there, reported Kevin O'Connor on Monday. After a loss to the Grizzlies on Saturday, the point guard appeared to hint at tension in the locker room that asked, when asked about his leadership role in Washington. It's an interesting position. I spoke up a little bit early on. It wasn't necessarily welcomed said Dinwiddie after posting 10 points, 4 assists, and 3 boards in a 20-point loss to Memphis. And so, like I said, I try to do whatever's asked of me. At the end of the day, everyone's got a role to play. It's about being accountable in your role and doing that to the best of your ability. That's really all I've got. Um, I don't think there are any more quotes here. Spencer Dinwiddie, as um, as this article points out, is in the first year of, I think it's a three-year deal with Washington. But more more so than these quotes... More so than these quotes from Spencer Dinwiddie and from and from other players in the locker room. Before I get in on this, I have to reiterate to everybody that Spencer Dinwiddie is coming off of an ACL injury, a very very sizable injury for some for any athlete to deal with, especially someone like Spencer Dinwiddie who is pretty athletic and derives a lot of his um, prowess on the basketball court because of his athleticism and his explosiveness. So to think that to be someone 
in the Washington Wizards front office and think that Spencer Dinwiddie is going to come over to your team, a brand new team, a brand new organization, a brand new coaching staff, and assimilate and return to his old self while also being only a few months removed from getting back to regular health, like being able to even participate in basketball activities. I think that if you're a member of the Wizards Brass and you thought that you're a dipshit, you're an idiot, dude, straight up. You're a dumbass if you think that any player is going to bounce back from a severe lower body injury and be themselves right away. It doesn't happen that often. Of course, we've seen it with Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant's a freak, but even then, his Achilles injury kept him out for a a very, very long time. The Nets were extra cautious with bringing him back. And even then, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a sports medicine person, but the Achilles, from everything that I've read, it's not really an issue for smaller guys. And of course, Kevin Durant is a big dude, but he's not like a big, heavy set guy. He's not someone like DeMarcus Cousins who's big and tall. He's just tall. It ha- It's easier for them to bounce back because there isn't so much additional stress put on that ligament. And they're not so super explosive that they're, again, stressing their body. But who the fuck is going to come back from an ACL injury and be fine halfway through their first season? Very few people. Look at Klay Thompson. Are anyone Is anyone in the Warriors organization talking shit about Klay Thompson? No. And obviously it's because he's Klay fucking Thompson and he's helped them win three titles. He is probably the most well-liked um, Golden State Warrior up there with Steph Curry, of course. But it's dumb. It's dumb for the Wizards to have thought that. And it's equally as dumb for them to put this shit out there. To leak that they're trying to trade him not even one year into his contract. Like, what does that say about the organization? And I know the Wizards are not, they're not like the premier NBA organization. They're actually a dumpster fire. And I understand that 100%. And first of all, uh, well, I guess not first of all. Second of all, I don't understand who the fuck his teammates are. I don't know. I don't understand what fucking teammates are like. I don't want him here unless it's Bradley Beal and Spencer Dinwiddie's like, hey, dumbass, get vaccinated. I don't like you because you're not vaccinated unless it's some fucking dumb bullshit like that. I mean, Spence is a he's a veteran in the NBA. He has been in leader in positions of leadership before. He was just trying to bring that to the Wizards because outside of Bradley Beal, the Wizards don't really have like a leadership hierarchy. Bradley Beal is the prominent voice in the locker room, and rightfully so. He's the best player on the team. He's one of the best players in the league. But sometimes listening to the same guy gets tiresome. So why coaches get canned after three or four years if they haven't really done anything for the team? It's because it just gets tiresome listening to the same guy over and over and over again. And I think Spencer Dinwiddie was just trying to, you know, fit himself in nicely with the team. And clearly it's not working. But... Even then, like, it's been six fucking months, dude. I don't understand why the Wizards are even trying to draw up interest because who's going to trade for Spencer Dinwiddie? Especially now that they put this story out, that they're trying to portray him as this menace in the locker room. And even then, Washington has no leverage. 
in this situation because Spencer Dinwiddie is, I mean, he's not playing particularly well. His shooting is down tremendously. But again, he's coming off of an ACL tear. It kept him out for about a year. I just don't see the point in, I don't see the point in, in, I really don't see the point in what Washington is trying to do here. I mean, again, it's not also, it's also not his fault that the, um, the Wizards are as shitty as they are. Like, it's everybody's fault, man. It's everybody's fault. It's a team effort. And I think it's time to shift to, some would say the ultimate team sport, and that being football. We have the Super Bowl matchup, guys. We have it. Joe Burrow against Matt Stafford. Cincinnati Bengals going to their first Super Bowl since, I think, 1988, if I remember correctly. And, of course, the Los Angeles Rams going to their first Super Bowl in, like, three years. However, this is the first time that we are seeing Matt Stafford in the Super Bowl. And let me tell you, the Niners-Rams game, I did not anticipate it being as close as it was. I guess I underestimated the 49ers, but ultimately, they showed why you need to have a quarterback who can make plays. Because... If it weren't, like, they barely lost. Barely lost. And they probably could have won if Jimmy Garoppolo was just a little bit, a little bit more talented. And then, of course, I can't can't, um, understate the importance of Cooper Cup and now Odell Beckham Jr., who I am so fucking excited for, for the opportunity to go to a Super Bowl. Um, I think, I think it's absolutely awesome. The two of them had, uh, I think, about, right about 300 yards. This weekend, and they were they were the, the ones who kept the Rams' offense going. Of course, it was a different story with the earlier game, Bengals Chiefs. I thought the Chiefs were going to win, not easily, but I thought they were going to win. I certainly did not expect such a fucking collapse, such a fucking collapse from the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know what happened with them. Some people are saying they got greedy. Late in the game, um, I've, I I don't know, dude. I really don't know. I mean, I've seen a fair share of Patrick Mahomes play. And that, that offense was struggling like it was the middle of the season again. Like, you remember back, um, the Chiefs got off to a slow start. And it was basically because teams were just playing double high safety. And they took away the big play for the Chiefs. And it took Mahomes, it took Mahomes time to kind of readjust and actually start seeing the game as an NFL quarterback. Because 26 years old, I mean, he's only been in the league for like five years or so. I know he's won a Super Bowl already. I know he's one of the most talented quarterbacks of all time. But to play the game as a game manager, to play it as someone like Tom Brady or as uh, Aaron Rodgers, that's a different skill set. To take the easy throw when the defense gives it to you. To utilize your safety nets out of the backfield. Jarek McKinnon, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. To utilize Travis Kelsey as more of a safety net when they take away Ty Hill and they take away McCall Hardman. That was when it really flipped for the Chiefs. And people were like, okay, yeah, of course this team is going back to the Super Bowl again. And then like they encountered this Bengals defense and it just stops. And they go back to week four, week five, or whatever. Patrick Mahomes... I think just got lost in the sauce. I don't know what happened. I don't know 
how much of it was Andy Reid as well because that fucking suspect-ass decision-making um, at the end of the first half certainly cost them. But without a doubt, the Chiefs lost this game just as much as the Bengals won it. Because I, I think focusing entirely on the collapse of the Chiefs does take away from what Joe Burrow did, what the Cincinnati Bengals did, both offensively and defensively, because they crawled back from like an 18-point deficit, 21-3. to I mean, that just doesn't happen, right? You don't just come back from an 18-point deficit. Uh, T. Higgins had a brilliant game, uh, even though Jamar Chase was kind of silent. Oddly enough, Jamar Chase really wasn't that... He was... I think he had like six receptions for 50 yards or something, but it was more so that Bengals defense. And now they're in the Super Bowl. So uh, we are going to watch first take discuss Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow. Would this be a better story if Stafford or Burrow wins the Super Bowl? Depends on which eye I look out of. I'm looking out of the eye of the lead. The lead. It, it, it's better that, that you get. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that? That, that Joe Burrow had, had be the story. But but for for what we do here for TV for the story, it is absolutely Matthew Stafford. This is a Hollywood story. Matthew Stafford came in 0 in three, 0 in three. This man is top 12 in yards, top 12 in touchdowns right now. 0 in three in the playoffs. This run that he is on right now can take him out of the seat and put him in a Hall of Fame chair Amen. if he wins this Super Bowl. Remember, remember. Okay. I understand what Michael Irvin is trying to say here, but the way he set up this take, if it's through the eyes of the league or if it's through the eyes of the media, first of all, the league does not give a fuck about who's in the Super Bowl because... Regardless, they're going to draw like 150 million viewers, right? For all intents and purposes, the league wants... I feel like this is what the league wants. You have the one of the premier super teams in the NFL, Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, who's... I mean, you could make the case that he's the MVP because he's the, the only MVP candidate left in the playoffs. Um, Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham... Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey, like this is one of the most talented football teams ever assembled. And they were Super Bowl favorites from the beginning. They started off the season like 7-1, and one, I think, 6-1, and one, then lost three games, and it was kind of like, okay, what's going on here? And then they rebounded as they did. They won like 5-6 or, or whatever. And here they are, going to the Super Bowl against Joe Burrow, a quarterback with so much swag, it is incalculable. A dude who came to the arena dripped out immaculately Cartier frames diamonds on his Nike chain like just absolutely insane tremendous swag and not only that Joe Burrow proved that he has just as much swag on the field like his play's been undeniable straight up like you want that you want the young stud going up against the monsters more or less. And don't get it twisted because the Bengals also have Joe Mixon. They also have Jamar Chase. So this could very well be like a or like a 38-35 victory. But this is a great storyline. This is just as big of a storyline as it would be with Patrick Mahomes and Matt Stafford. Like, uh, either way, I think that 
that's not the right way to look at it, but we're going to go ahead and we're going to let the everyone else talk. is in California. Yeah. It's right there in yeah. Hollywood. It's the story that's around it all. It's that SoFi. It's so Which is SoFi. Which is SoFi, right? SoFi. SoFi and SoFi. And Matthew Stafford left the pit of Detroit in that tough situation to come here to the city of Hollywood, the city of dreams, and win a Super Bowl in his first year. That is absolutely the bigger story. The bigger story it, that we're it, going it, to talk about. You know about. what? It definitely feels storybook when you say it oh like that. Oh my God! That it's, it's in LA. It, 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 he paid it his dues. And he you comes picked up out a, here. You picked up an really Odell does. Beckham Jr. I don't like. I like. I don't want to say I disagree because I kind of don't. But I like the whole story, the whole storybook aspect of it. Matt Stafford coming to LA and winning in LA. Like, no, I think the way to look at it is, I mean, uh, like these are kind of intertwined, so I'm not like disagreeing with Michael Irvin, but guy comes into the league, plays in Detroit for as many years as he does, comes in with Calvin Johnson. And, you know, I think Matt Stafford kind of had his reputation, not his reputation wasn't soured, but I think he was a little um, underestimated beginning his career because it, was, it would be very easy when you're talking about great quarterbacks in the league to fall back or to um, not give Matthew Stafford his due because it's like, oh, he's playing with Calvin Johnson. Like, of course, you're going to throw for 4,000 yards every year and 20 touchdowns when you're playing with arguably the greatest receiver of all time, someone who commands double and triple teams. And then you can just get 2,000 extra yards just like Dinkin and Duncan or whatever. And then Calvin Johnson retires. And Matt Stafford is still consistently throwing for 4,000 yards with Golden Tate as his number one wide receiver. No disrespect to Golden Tate or Marvin Jones Jr., but they are not the other elite receivers that quarterbacks were throwing to, right? He wasn't like Tom Brady in New England. He didn't have Gronk. He didn't have Wes Welker. He didn't have Julian Edelman. He didn't have Randy Moss. He didn't have um, Devontae Adams. And Jordy Nelson, like Aaron Rodgers did. I mean, it was like Matthew Stafford all along has proven himself as a very, 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 a well above average quarterback, a super talented quarterback. And then he comes to LA and gets to work under Sean McVay, who is one of the brightest football brains in the NFL right now. And then Cooper Cup breaks out as he did. You know, Cooper Cup was already a, a above average receiver, but then. He starts catching the ball from Matt Stafford. And it's like Matt Stafford turned Cooper Cup into a white Calvin Johnson. I mean, this dude's got 2,300 yards going into the Super Bowl, more than 20 receiving touchdowns. I mean, just absolutely insane production. And then, and then it gets even better because Odell Beckham Jr. gets let go from Cleveland because they thought he was the problem. Odell was the problem. Odell's a locker room diva. Odell is cancerous. The Browns aren't going to be able to win with Odell at quarterback, even though Odell was putting up numbers with Eli Manning back in New York. So no one wanted to look at Baker Mayfield and be like, hmm, maybe Baker Mayfield isn't that great of a quarterback. And you know what? To Mayfield's credit, I'm not ready to write the write him off just yet because I know he was banged up towards the end of the year. Or maybe the Browns just didn't know how to utilize Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield because when you have Kareem Hunt, you have Nick Chubb, obviously you're going to be a run-heavy team. It just makes sense. But then to see him come to L.A. and it takes him two, three weeks to get acclimated and then this dude is, you know, 
routinely getting 60, 70, 80 yards. I think he caught a touchdown in each of the last three games of the season. And then has a nine reception, 115-yard day in the NFC Championship game. And now has a chance to win a Super Bowl after being picked up off waivers. Like, that's it. That's an amazing storyline. Yeah. Misfits and yes. everybody cast yeah. it out and they came together. Misfits, misfits. Well, you know what I mean. That's disrespectful, yeah. actually. Misfits. Oh, 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 back yeah. Yeah. Misfits, you Kick know. ball. Kick yes, ball. Right. Hey, ball. He was talking about the situation was not a story. How big the story is. How big now now they leave would love for you to say is that young dude, that young quarterback, because they our system works. Right. You make the right draft picks. Right. Our system works yeah. so, so they can They're keep right. it going. But it's okay. about okay. Matthew Stafford. Okay. Okay. It's about those okay. Rams okay. when it comes to that. And I love what Cincinnati I has done. I, I understand. I, he just threw me off when he said, it depends on which aha. <laughs> ah. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with that. 100%. If I'm looking at the lead eye on my TV, I'll get ahead. All right, let's get the analogs to take on this. Now, um... Before I get into it, Stephen A., I want to make myself very clear. Four months ago or so, you called me and asked me if I wanted to be on the show a little bit this season. I'm, I'm forever thankful for that, truly. Very grateful for that. Man, I'm, 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 also, I'm honored to have you. You've been fantastic. Love having you on the show. Glad you did. I'm also it. your worst nightmare. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you believe that. <laughs> I'm your worst sure nightmare. You believe that. No. Because I keep receipts. No. And no. I, <laughs> I remember the things that get said. And I feel like... Right. I right. say things that are pretty accurate. And when people like you come at me for some of the things that I say in the moment, mm -hmm. it leaves that memory in my mm -hmm. mind. And I remember a time back where we were having a conversation about these bangles. Mm -hmm. And I had a pretty profound statement. I think it was back in the summer. And I said, you know, if there was some stuff attached to this football team, something could happen. Play it, Tanucci. I would say this, real talk, Wood. You give me Joe Burrow, and you give me you give Joe Burrow that Pittsburgh Steelers defense. I'm gonna say he's gonna win a Super Bowl this year. He's a Super Bowl contender this what? year. I don't feel Did that way about the Steelers yeah. this year. If you took Joe Burrow, Stephen A. Stephen A. Got to be kidding me. Stephen A. Real talk. Stephen A. Stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm guilty. I'm Dan Orlovsky is never going to be on first take ever again. No shot. No fucking chance. <laughs> he called that Embar and embarrassed Stephen A. Smith. This is done. It's a wrap. This is the last time we're going to see Dan Orlovsky on first take. And that's fucking insane, actually, that he even was able to predict that. Absolutely preposterous. I'm guilty of this, I'm guilty of this Because... They had lost. Go on. First of all, this is the same, the same Bengals team that lost to the Jets, by the way. We keep forgetting that. Go stuff. On. That's the, and they lost the Chicago game, too, of the season. But this oh neither here nor there. I was caught up in my, in my Steelers. I was mm. caught up in my Steelers. That, that's what that was about. Mm. Go on. That's what that was about. Okay. okay. Oh, go so ahead. I, I wanted you to acknowledge <laughs> that. I wanted yeah, you to you acknowledge that, and I appreciate that. But I'm you do understand. You do understand what you just did, didn't you? You do understand what you just did. Oh, yeah. Because, oh, yeah. Let me go. I'm going to interrupt you. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to interrupt you. <laughs> this is Dan Olofsky that just finished doing a lap around the Get Up studio in New York. That's how much he was celebrating Matthew mm -hmm. Stafford. Let me explain mm -hmm. something to y'all. This is. Let me rain on, on Dan Olofsky's parade. All right. Do you know how I go, Dan Olofsky? 
because right. he was with the Detroit Lions. Right. He never competed for a Super Bowl because he was in the, we, with the he's with the Detroit Lions. Right. He never was really talked about as a Hall of Famer because he was with the Detroit Lions. Everything was because he was mired wearing a Detroit Lions uniform. That's it. And when he went to a respectable franchise, when he went to a respectable franchise, now it's different. Let me tell you something about Burrow. Let me tell you something. Because remember, I'm the guy that stood up, Michael Irvin, Dan Olavsky, mm -hmm. for years, wanting and making noise about the scarcity of black NFL head coaches. Yet I consistently called for the dismissal of Marvin Lewis. I said, you can't have 14, 15, 16 years at a franchise, go to the playoffs seven times, never win one single playoff game, and still keep your job. It's bad for business. It's a bad look for the city. You're throwing the city under the bus. You're taking your fan base for granted. You got to change it up and do something. And that's what they did with Zach Taylor, who obviously was fortunate enough to be able to draft Joe Burrow. Joe okay, Burrow I don't know where the end of this story. I did skip 15 seconds, so maybe that's why I'm lost. But I feel that when you're when you have um, when you have this, and by this I mean Joe Burrow. Young quarterback with the young team. Uh, Zach Taylor, young head coach, going up against Matthew Stafford, for example, a guy who is due for a Super Bowl. Um, I feel that more people are going to root for the um, the Rams in that scenario, especially people outside of Cincinnati, because I'm sure there are a lot of people who don't like Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow because, again, he's super swaggy, super dripped out and everything. And uh, I think that's dumb. I personally will be rooting for the Los Angeles Rams mainly because I want to see my guy Odell Beckham Jr. win a Super Bowl. I still feel to this day that he was utterly disrespected by the New York Giants and also by the um the Cleveland Caval the Cle Cavaliers. What the fuck? What the fuck? All right. Let me watch the video, god damn it. Ah! All right. Dude, what the fuck? Why can't I watch this? Oh, I really wanted to watch this video. That's okay. We're going to get it though. What is happening, dude? Do they think I'm a bot? Huh? Dude, what the f like? What the fuck? Would this be a better story if Stafford? What is happening? Dude, what? I can't watch. All right, so I can go to Twitter. So is this like a YouTube problem? Wow, this kind of sucks. This kind of sucks a lot, actually. What the fuck? Dude, what is going on? All right, well... I guess, damn, 
I guess no YouTube, huh? That fucking sucks. Okay, well. Or can I just watch it like this? This kind of this is kind of stupid. I hate this man. Joe Burrow has his Bengals in the Super Bowl, and now LeBron James is chiming in, responding to a tweet comparing the Bengals getting to the big game to the Sacramento Kings reaching the NBA Finals. LeBron responded, "But not if you get a generational talent in the draft. You would have said the same thing about the Cavs before 2003, right?" Joe B is the absolute truth. We all saw and knew it, Michael. Would Burrow winning the Super Bowl for Cincy be bigger than LeBron's title with Cleveland? No. Well, I got to say yes to this. And, and for a number of reasons, no. I push towards this no. direction. No. First of all, no. you know, no. Le LeBron, of course, got drafted by Cleveland and, and, and left and came back. So Burrow got drafted by Cincinnati and, and, and everything that, that Cincinnati has used to get to this point, we can call it homegrown. Oh. Now, I can also branch off into, I believe it's more difficult winning a Super Bowl than any other sport. You know, we get- we All right, dude. Um, No, here's the thing. LeBron left Cleveland because Cleveland took LeBron for granted. That's why. He spent seven, like seven or eight seasons with that organization. And not once did the Cleveland Cavaliers construct a team that was able to beat any of the other teams in the Eastern Conference. I mean, the Celtics, the fucking My the, the Miami Heat. Uh, even when they went to the finals in 2007, they got dusted by the San Antonio Spurs. And LeBron was kind of just like, all right, fuck it, dude. I'm out. If you guys aren't willing to build a championship-level team... I'm not going to be here for it. You guys can get fucked. And that's exactly what he did. So he goes to Miami. He wins two titles. And then comes back to Cleveland because, 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 because they started to show some competency in the front office. Harry Irving was an exceptional draft pick. They were able to facilitate a deal for Kevin Love. Like, that's why LeBron came back. Like, the Cincinnati Bengals have a great team. They're a they're a very 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 solid organization. Of course, they really lucked out that Jamar Chase popped like he did as a rookie, which I don't think it would have taken him that long to pop off anyway, like maybe another year, but he's been great. Joe Mixon's been great. And of course, Joe Burrow coming off of that knee injury and proving that he's an elite level quarterback. Um I'm also not here to like have a dick measuring contest between what um, championship is easier to win. I understand why Michael Irvin thinks the Super Bowl because inherently single elimination is more difficult, right? But football has the chance to be single elimination because there is a greater emphasis on in-game adjustments, right? In the NBA in particular, you can make in-game adjustments, but ultimately they're not going to be as impactful as the adjustments that you make following the game heading into the next game. We see in basketball many times where you can put two or three good players together and make a very good basketball team. You can put many great players together on football, but it still takes some cooking to make this a football family because it's not just about physical skill set on the football field. Joe Burrow winning and sitting. That's like true yes and no. In the NBA, you can put two, three guys on a basketball team, and it'll it'll work. 
Maybe. Because, much like in football, coaching is tremendous. Tremendous. Look at the Brooklyn Nets. Look what happened to them last year. Look what's... I mean, look look what might happen to them this year because their coaching situation is not up to par. The Milwaukee Bucks, last year's NBA champion, were coached by a guy who was notoriously piss poor at making adjustments. Like, at the end of the day, basketball is a team sport. It is more individualistic. I will not argue anybody on that. But at the end of the day, the better team will win the championship. If you have two good teams, well, I mean, obviously, but if you have great, if you have two great teams going up against each other in the finals, the better team of those two will win. It's case in point with the Milwaukee Bucks last year, even though I picked the Suns because I, th- I thought the Suns were the more complete team. I was a little off on that because I underestimated that the Bucks had been together for so long. Football, it's in the same vein. Like, you can have a great quarterback, but if you have a dog shit offensive line, that quarterback's not going to have any time to utilize his receivers and his running backs. So, yes, but I don't want it like, I don't think that you should be downplaying the importance of these characteristics when it comes to basketball because so ultimately that, they're incomparable. Never, of course, won a, a Super Bowl. The last year, and last year, it was just the only one four games to get them back now after winning four games and having them in a Super Bowl and winning a Super Bowl. Oh my God, that 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 absolutely outweighs that great task, the great accomplishment that LeBron has in Cleveland when he brought back and said, Cleveland, this one's for you. Joe saying, Cincinnati, this one's for you. It's, it's bigger than that. It's uh, not. You're wrong, but whatever. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> Joe Burrow and what he's accomplished as a Cincinnati Bengals is fantastic. And if they won the Super Bowl, it would be great. <laughs> nah, it's not. You're wrong. <laughs> Cincinnati. LeBron James oh my God. ended awesome. more than a half I love century of not winning in any sport. In Cleveland. Anything. That's true. Indians hadn't won a World Series. I was looking it up right now. I want to see who won a World Series. Last time they won, 1948. Okay? Um, the Indians, I'm talking about the Indians. They were, you know, the Cleveland Browns don't get me started. That's 1964 when Frank Ryan was their quarterback. Some dude named Frank Ryan. Okay? Sounded like, you know, you know, clear and present day, just something like that. Okay? I mean, Jim Brown was their running back. Yo, okay? Frank Ryan sounded like, <laughs> sounded like a fucking NASCAR driver brought the Browns to the Super Bowl. 1964. <laughs> Cleveland, a, a, a NBA franchise that started in 1970, hadn't won anything. Okay, so when LeBron won, overcoming a 3-1 deficit, even though it was a stimulus package that he was helped along by. Oh, dude, awesome. NBA league office suspended Drake. Awesome. Okay. Brilliant fucking take, dog. I love that. He overcame a 3-1 deficit to beat a 73-9 team in Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and the crew, okay, to capture a championship for the city of Cleveland in any sport for the first time since 1964, over 52 years, over 50 years. So what I'm saying to you is, when you take that into consideration, that wins the argument right there. No, I'm, no, not no, 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 I'm not finished. I'm not finished. I'm not finished. I'm not finished, Mr. Cowboy. I'm not finished. 
Then we're talking about LeBron James. I understand Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's not. Yeah, Joe yeah, 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 yeah. We talk about LB. Hey, boy. We talk about LB. That's hey, boy. what you talk about. Wait, I don't know, but no, that, but one that, thing, that, though, that, usually, that, Michael, the NFL that, is king, and I'm with you. Right, I know he's right, an NBA guy. Right. But this but is LeBron. I understand it's not just any LeBron. NBA player who ended the draft. I understand. Hold on, hold on. I appreciate that. But. All you had to do was preface it by saying Stephen A's right, Michael. You could have been that. You could have done that. No, but you're not right. Now we're just getting into the fucking. Now we're just getting into the weeds. Like Michael Irvin, football guy, bias towards football. Stephen A. Um. Basketball guy, biased towards the NBA. Molly Kiram just got divorced from D- from Jalen Rose, so she's probably anti NBA for a while. I don't know if that was in poor taste. It probably was, but whatever. You like these are not comparable. These are simply this is an uncomparable, incomparable, uncomparable comparison. However, and here are my implicit biases arising, me being a basketball guy, looking at what LeBron has done for the city of Cleveland in regards to the sport, obviously, ending a fifty year job. When the Cleveland Cavaliers were always, not always, but for a long time, a very shitty basketball team. What the fuck? And then to have the Cleveland kid who dominated high school in Cleveland and then plays for Cleveland, gave everything he could to the Cleveland Cavaliers, which they did not reciprocate, then to have him come back and to upset what should have been the greatest NBA team of all time. That means a lot. Like, Cleveland is not a cool city. My dad's like, I'm going to Cleveland on business. And I'm like, why? Why is your job sending you to Cleveland? What the fuck is in Cleveland besides despair? Right? People leave Cleveland. They don't go to Cleveland. Cincinnati at least has the cooler aesthetic. I mean, Cincinnati is just a better sounding word than Cleveland. Just sounds cooler. But ultimately, I think this argument is is stupid. And I don't even know if I want to finish watching it. You're well, not you're right. Stephen that's not what she said. Stephen right, Stephen. Here's why. I give you that is LeBron James. I give you it's LeBron James. But LeBron James got drafted to Cleveland. So? And, and, and then did, did so the decision... And, 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 and went to South Beach. And, and no, went to South Beach. You went to South Beach. You're the last person. You're the last person in the plane. You brought pain, pain in the relationship. Oh, oh the oh, owner writing a letter. The owner writing a letter. Said never again. Never again. All right, this is a mess. I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. This is just. Wow, that was that was that was a take. That was a take. Talk about the fucking letter that Dan Gilbert wrote to. LeBron, like I'm, I'm surprised that Stephen A, because we all know Stephen A is is far far more knowledgeable about the NBA than about the NFL, much like how I am. Why why didn't he just say what what I said before and that LeBron left? Like LeBron had a valid reason to leave. Like he didn't just pick up and leave because he lost. He picked up and left because he lost multiple times and felt that the team wasn't and felt like ownership was kind of just like sliding him. And thinking that he could do more by himself. When it was very obvious that the Cavaliers team needed to be deeper. In the NFL, they were talking about you're only as good as your third wide receiver. Which makes sense because that highlights the depth 
of your offense. In the NBA, I can't think of an apt comparison off the top of my head, but I'd say that you're only as good as your seventh man. Because again, that highlights the depth that your team has. Um, I almost I almost forgot to talk about Tom Brady. Oh my God. So finally, finally, Tom Brady announced his retirement. Thomas, Michael, I don't even know what the fuck, I don't even know what the fuck his middle name is. Thomas, Tom Brady is no longer an NFL player. It was announced that he'd be retiring. Wrongly, or so we thought. And then he comes back and is like, oh, by the way, I'm the one who's going to be making this announcement. Not you. Get fucked, Adam Schefter. But then it turned out, it turned out that Shefty was right. Tom Brady said that he was going to be the one to make this decision. And he made it. He said, I'm out. Goodbye. I've had enough. Now, there are no words that can illustrate Tom Brady's career. Without a doubt, the greatest football player of all time. There is probably no gap more sizable in any sport between the greatest of all time and then anyone else in that conversation. The only ones I can think of, the only other people in that category, um, Michael Phelps, Serena Williams, um, and that's really it. That's really it. Unless also we're going to throw Tony Hawk in there because uh, I guess skateboard, I guess you consider skateboarding a sport. Um, but like when you think about the NBA debate, that is a fucking frantic goat debate. Hockey, I don't really know much about, but um, of course there is Wayne Gretzky, um, Alex Ovechkin, I would imagine is in that debate. Um, same thing with Formula One. There's Lewis Hamilton. There's Michael Schumacher. But Tom Brady is very clearly the greatest football player to ever pick up a football. Uh, seven Super Bowls, numerous passing records, really just total dominance for damn near two decades. And he called it quits. And, you know, it was kind of surprising. I did think he'd come back for another year. I don't think he wanted to end it on a loss, especially because of how that team came back. I felt that he should have retired or, you know, last year would have been a better time to retire. You just came off your seventh Super Bowl, end it on the highest of highs. And like he comes in this year and he leads the league in passing touchdowns. Like he has an MVP caliber campaign at 44 years old. I don't really know what, I really don't know what sparked it. I know he said he was going to be talking to his, um, to his family, weighing his decisions, all that. And then he came out today and released like an eight-tweet-long thread. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to keep you out of the Hall of Fame just for this alone. This is the same motherfucker who would post an IG video every Monday about winning the day before or whatever. And he's got the audacity to post an eight-page thesis on his retirement? Dog. No one's going to read that. I'm sorry. Your dad didn't even fucking read it, probably. Who's got the time? Who's got time for that? And then there was the whole thing where it's like, oh, he didn't mention the Patriots, but he eventually did thank the Patriots organization in a separate Instagram post. But, like, dude, every like your entire career was undone in 
five minutes because you decided to write out your retirement speech. But anyway, hats off to Tom Brady for an illustrious career. I'm probably the only one who isn't bitter about it because the Giants did beat them twice in the Super Bowl. That's pretty fucking awesome. But uh, I would really like to see like what spurred this. And he could have written it in his little speech, and I'm not going to read it just because um, I'm spiteful. But like, I wonder, was age really a factor? You know, also Gronk was considering retiring. Chris Godwin's entering free agency this summer. Leonard Fournette's entering free agency this summer. Um, Actually, not only Leonard Fournette, but pretty much all their running backs are entering free agency. Um. I don't like, and I don't. I think it just would have been more difficult for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to keep that team together because the NFL being a hard cap league, you can't go over the the salary cap. And Leonard Fournette was going to command a big contract. Chris Godwin was going to command a big contract. I just don't think the team would have been. I don't think it would have been the same. And I think Tom Brady noticed that, and I think instead of going somewhere else and doing all this again, I think he was kind of just like. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's be done with this. Let's be done with this. And uh, I kind of respect it. And plus, I think he also saw Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Joe Burrow throw for ten thousand, ten thousand, throw for a thousand combined yards during the divisional weekend. And he's like, "Yeah, I don't think I'm ever winning the Super Bowl ever again, as long as these guys are in the league." So I think that about wraps up all the sports talk that I wanted to discuss. I did want to talk about the NBA MVP race, but I just, I simply don't want to anymore. Um, This whole fucking thing with YouTube really fucked me up, man. This shit's like super annoying. And it's back. Of course it is. All right. We're doing it. I had something to prove to the whole world. I don't see that no more. I don't see that same edge. I don't see that same tenacity. And then Mike Conley, he got a big bag. Like you have to step up and deliver consistently. Yeah. All right, let's move over to Joel Embiid, who continued his red-hot play over the weekend. He dropped a cool 36 points to go along with 12 rebounds and six assists against the Kings on Saturday. So the process, I don't even know if you can call it the process. It's more like a meat processor at this point. They've been on a tear since Christmas, and it has led to huge change in his MVP odds over a very short period of time. So two weeks ago, Joel had 50 to 1 odds to win MVP. That's according to Caesar Sportsbook. And since then, he's averaged almost 38 points per game and seen his MVP odds go all the way to plus 240. That's the shortest in the entire NBA. So I'd like to welcome back Ramona Shelburne for our Sixers discussion. Ramona, you're an MVP voter. So where is Embiid oh, in that shit. race right now? I mean, doesn't it feel a lot like last year? Embiid, Jokic, Giannis. Ron, Giannis. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, John Morant, those are all the names you're going to hear. But Joel Embiid has got the Sixers a game and a half out of first. A game, if he scores 34 points in his next game, he's going to be leading the league in scoring. He'll pass KD as a scoring leader in this league. insane. I mean, this guy is, he's going to be back-to-back player of the month probably for January as well. I mean, you just, we can go through the stats here, but he's going to be, he's on pace right now, guys, to average 30 points a game. Mm. I mean, for a center in this league to tell do that, him, tell especially him. without Ben Simmons Give him out the stat. there. Give us the stat. You told us, tell us, who was the last big man to average 30? I, you know what? Shaq never did it. Shaq, Shaq never did never it? never did it. Mm. I mean, it, like, this is, this, you, centers don't do that. This In this league, for him, he could get 30 points a game over the course of a whole season. Well, it just came out that Joel Embiid is the Eastern Conference player of the week, but I feel like asking Perk if he's the MVP, him or John. Wait, when was the last time a center averaged 30? What the fuck? 
Shaq never did it, dude. That's insane. I mean, but if you think about it, like, that kind of makes sense because the reason that guards usually are the more explosive scorers is because they have range. And just by, just mathematically, if you're hitting threes out of 35% rate and you're taking six, seven, eight threes, you're going to have a couple more points at the end of each game. And like one three is all it takes to separate a 29 point per game score from a 32 point per game score. But that's insane. Is it really like Kareem or Wilt was the last center to average 30? Um, Morant is like Sophie's choice. <laughs> right, it is. But look, I had him picked as my preseason MVP because I thought he was going to come out and ball like he is without Ben Simmons because he had a lot, because he felt like he had a lot to prove. And we know how Joe uh, B mentally is. But when you talk about averaging 30, and then we can't even think of another center to do that, not even Jokic. Yep. It's like, it, 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 it stamps what I was been preaching about him being so skilled. Also, we already know this too, and, and Ramona, you could you can contest to this, is about usually most of the time when you finish second in the MVP runnings, the mm -hmm. following year, if you come back and you deliver, it's a high chance yeah. that he may win it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and, and even mm. when you look at the stats, like he's up there with Kareem, 17 straight games Ooh. of 25 That's a great plus. point. Those That's a great point by Perk. Like, it's it's exceptionally rare to see back-to-back -back MVPs in the NBA. I mean, Steph, LeBron, obviously. Um, was it Giannis? Oh, well, Giannis could have had back-to-back -back MVPs if it weren't for Jokic, and now we're going to see potentially Jokic get... You well, served by Joel numbers. Embiid. Do people forget about Kareem? Look at these are my top three. And, and the reason why it's laid out this way is because, one, you got the points per game, you got the rebounds, you got the assists. All, yep. all, everyone's got their own dance that you can do. But there's always narrative. No Simmons, no Murray, no Porter. Only 24 games for the big three uh, with Giannis. And look at where all three of these guys have their team sitting. Embiid is the most impressive, in my opinion, the fact that they are third. Now, obviously, this the, the conference seating can change from day to day, week to week. But right now, at this moment, the fact that he's got them in third place, he has a chance if he scores 30 to be the number to be the leading scorer in the league. He's got to be the favorite. Everyone right now is looking up trying to catch Joel Embiid. If you're trying to get an MVP, you really, you really. All right, I kind of, I, I don't really necessarily agree with Embiid being the favorite right now. I still think it's Jokic's award to lose because the Sixers. If we are talking about the narratives, which narratives you can't you can't deny narratives play a huge role in the MVP race. Jokic not having Jamal Murray and not having Michael Porter, they are in a significantly worse spot than the 76ers. Because the Sixers, even though they don't have Ben Simmons, they still have Danny Green. Well, okay. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. They still have Tobias Harris. They still have Seth Curry. They still have Danny Green. They still have Matisse Thybul. They still have Tyrese Maxey, who just had like 39 points or some shit against the Memphis Grizzlies. Philadelphia is a better all-around team than Denver is right now. And when you consider that, the fact that... Actually, let me go ahead. We're actually... We're done with this video, so I'll just use that. As it stands, Philly. Where's Philly? 31 and 19. So they are 12 games over 500. Denver. Only seven games over 500. But considering the disparity between the collective talent levels of these two teams, Denver should be a 500 team at best. 100%. Without a doubt. 
And here they are, you know, like not even challenging for a play-in seed. I mean, that is super, super impressive. Again, not trying to discredit what Joel Embiid is doing, but these guys right here, I forgot about Shake Milton too. Goddamn. These guys right here are a decent, they're a decent supporting cast. Now, with all of this said, I'm probably going to wind up voting for Nikola Jokic at the end of the year. However, I have to get this off my chest. We need to seriously, <laughs> we need to seriously start considering John Morant as an MVP finalist. No disrespect to Giannis. I think I just want to see, I think I just want to see a guard represented at some point. I don't know if that makes me like a heightist or something, but it's just unfair to all of us short people to see three seven-footers in the MVP race. And I get it, Jaws like 6'2". He's significantly taller than I am. I just want some short king representation in the MVP race. Is that too much to want? And to think that also, what does Ja have? Ja has the numbers to back it up. He's got 26 points, 6, six rebounds, and 7 assists. He's better this year than Derrick Rose when Derrick Rose won his MVP when he took that MVP from LeBron James. He's shooting 49% from the field and like 36% from three. He's got the wow factor. He's got the entertainment factor. But if we are talking about narratives, what the fuck, what, what fucking business do the Memphis Grizzlies have being third in the Western Conference? 35 and 18. They are 17 games above 500. Look at this team. What the fuck? Who, who was expecting this? From Desmond Bain this year. 18 points. One of the best shooters in the league. I mean, Dylan Brooks, we kind of expected, but he's also out right now, right? Jaron Jackson is actually, I think, playing a little bit worse than a lot of people expected. Uh, he's at about his career average, so maybe I'm just being a little too hard on him. But, dude, the Grizzlies being better than Denver, being better than Utah, better than Dallas, better than the Clippers, better than the Lakers. Like, that's insane. They're only three. Well, I mean, they're five games back in the loss column for Golden State, but they're only three wins less than Golden State. Like, say what you will about Giannis. And I know that Kevin Durant's effectively out of the MVP race. LeBron is as well uh, for injury reasons and also because the Lakers just simply are not good enough to justify his placement on the list. Um, Steph Curry, you can still, listen, make the case for Steph Curry. He's starting to finally round into form, at least as far as his shooting goes. A lot can change. I do think that Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid are the one and two. Like, you can flip either of those guys. They're interchangeable. I don't think the Ja MVP race is as... I don't think there's as much traction behind it as there should be. And I think more people will recognize because you can't talk about narratives and just overlook the fact that Memphis is one of the best teams... In, in the league, they're the third best team in the NBA in terms of in terms of wins. I don't know what it is. Um, in terms of winning percentage, where are they at? They're the third. They're the third best team in the NBA. They have the third highest winning percentage, even as far as the fucking simple rating system goes. Which I you know it's I don't even know if it's like how legitimate it is the fifth best team in the league by that metric i mean what the fuck is what the fuck is their net rating they have the sixth best 
net rating in the league. And it's only because their offense... Oh, actually, they're pretty efficient. Jesus. Like, uh, man. Jaw's pretty much a lock for most improved. But that MVP could very well, could very well be his. And to um to close this out, I think that we're going to talk about the whole Joe Rogan Spotify fiasco. Uh, I'm sure you guys have seen someone cover this. There is a huge, huge rift going on. Oh, I don't even know. Hello. Long story short, Joe Rogan has been accused of spreading misinformation. I don't even want to say accused. Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan has facilitated the spread of misinformation uh, about COVID, about vaccines on his show, which is exclusive to Spotify. Spotify gave him $100 million to be exclusive to Spotify. In the wake of this, several artists have pulled their catalogs from Spotify. I'm talking about Neil Young. I'm talking about Joni Mitchell. Um, trying to, uh, you know, distance themselves from this. And Neil Young, and if you're under the age of 35, I, I don't expect you to know who the fuck Neil Young is. But Neil Young is one of the most prominent songwriters of the 20th century. He was massive through the 60s, 70s, 80s. I mean, a lot of your parents probably enjoy Neil Young, and that's where you've heard of him. Joni Mitchell is the same thing. I can go on and on about these two um, in terms of their music and their cultural impact, but they did not want to be associated with Joe Rogan. And full disclosure here, I was a huge Joe Rogan head up until about like a year and a half ago. Right over, actually, it was right around the time he went to Spotify. And, you know, it's that old cliche where Joe's open-mindedness really helped elevate him to this prominent position, and truly it was. But I think beyond Joe's open-mindedness, it was his... I think beyond his open-mindedness, it was his inquisitiveness as well. It was his desire to be educated by his guests. He was, he always, to his credit, asked a lot of questions about certain things. And he always brought on people who he felt were interesting. And that was part of the reasons why he grew into this massive media figure. And to this day, Joe Rogan's importance to the independent media landscape cannot be overstated. I mean, for this guy, this fucking meathead, cage-fighting ape to be as prominent as he is, is huge. And what made it even better was that he wasn't corporatized yet. And going to Spotify signaled the end of that. Um, he did reassure us that Spotify would, they were acting simply as a distributor for the podcast. There, were, there was going to be no meddling in the um, creation of the show, nothing like that. They were simply just going to be an exclusive home for the platform or they were going to be the exclusive platform for the podcast. And they paid $100 million to Joe Rogan because they felt that it was a good business decision. And obviously, they're not going to side with Neil Young and Joni Mitchell over Joe Rogan. They're monetarily invested in Joe Rogan for nine figures. They're not, they're not that invested in Neil Young and Joni Mitchell. In fact, 
all of these artists, Drake, Post Malone, The Weeknd, Justin Bieber, they could probably, well, maybe not all of them, but another prominent artist, another prominent current artist, whether it's Bad Bunny or, again, Post Malone, Drake, could pull their catalog, and I don't think Spotify would buckle because Spotify, um, what what's getting overlooked in this conversation, I think, already is that Spotify is already a, a dog shit company because they're a streaming platform who does not treat the artist with respect. And quite frankly, there aren't many streaming platforms that do treat artists with respect, at least in regards to paying out royalties and giving proper artist splits. The artist, if you're if you're an independent artist on Spotify and you don't have like a hundred, uh, like a million monthly listeners or something, you're getting fucked. You need an insane amount of play to even survive, to meet the minimum wage requirements in the United States, which are still not even that high. Other platforms like Tidal specifically, they pay out a little bit more, but it's still, it's literally less than a penny across the board. So Spotify already is very suspect in their decision-making practices. And I'm sure you guys already like kind of know the story. There are two podcast episodes in particular, what well, actually, you know, I'm just gonna play the video. Fuck it. Friends, I wanted to make a video to address some of the controversy that's been going on over the past few days. And first of all, to say thank you to everyone that sent love and support. I truly, truly appreciate it. And it's been very nice to hear from you. I wanted to make this video, first of all, because I think there's a lot of people that have a distorted perception of what I do, maybe based on sound bites or based on headlines of articles that are disparaging. Um, the podcast has been accused of spreading dangerous misinformation, specifically about two episodes, a little bit about some other ones, but specifically about two, one with uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and one with Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Peter McCullough is a cardiologist and he is the most published physician in his field in history. Dr. Robert Malone owns nine patents on the creation of mRNA vaccine technology and is at least partially responsible for the creation of the technology that led to mRNA vaccines. None of this matters, by the way. The fact that Dr. Peter McCullough has been published however many times, it doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. Because ultimately, yes, you can say that this is a well-renowned cardiologist who has all these publications and all these papers that have been peer-reviewed but joe is conveniently leaving out the fact that while this is true I actually i don't even know if that's true but i know that peter mccullough has probably been published because he is a cardiologist he is a medical professional how do you explain the fact that the university of baylor where he worked cut all they severed all ties with him because of this fucking dangerous this dangerous approach to the pandemic and several other hospitals cut their ties with Peter McCullough as well. It's because there's this weird understanding that there is like what happens a lot of the time is that people who are on the right side of the political spectrum, they always talk about the mainstream narrative. And I think Joe will get to this in a minute, but that's just a, a way of trying to, normalize misinformation because as far as i'm concerned the medical information which is always changing by the way the coverage of the pandemic the information that the communicators of various health institutions have um 
the way they've communicated has been rather suspect and i've been super critical of the cdc of people like anthony fauci they haven't been the best communicators but at least when they've been wrong about something they haven't been entirely wrong right there was that whole fiasco where it's like um in the beginning it was like don't buy masks masks don't do anything and they said that for some fucking reason to have enough for the medical professionals to use because the healthcare infrastructure in america is dog shit and they didn't have the proper supplies well it's not that masks were entirely ineffective it's just that cloth masks for example were less effective than surgical masks and surgical masks were less effective than n95 masks for instance the idea that the medical mask is ineffective is or not ineffective but, or that it doesn't work is simply untrue and that is what a lot of the time these people talk about they say the vaccine doesn't work they say that masks don't work which is blatantly false both these people are very highly credentialed very intelligent very accomplished people and they have an opinion that's different from the mainstream narrative i wanted to hear what their opinion is I had them on, and because of that, those episodes in particular, uh, they, those episodes were labeled as being dangerous. They had dangerous misinformation in them. The problem I have with the term misinformation, especially today, is that many of the things that we thought of as misinformation just a short while ago are now accepted as fact. Like, for instance, eight months ago, if you said, if you get vaccinated, you can still catch COVID and you can still spread COVID you would be removed from social media. They would, they would ban you from certain platforms. This is not true. If you are someone who goes online and you're just defying what the healthcare professionals are saying, like there's a difference between saying that, oh, you can still spread COVID if you get vaccinated. There's a difference between saying that and saying that the vaccine doesn't work. Because one of those is objectively true. Was there a little bit of sloppy communication in the beginning regarding breakthrough cases? Perhaps there was. But even when the vaccines came out, the pharmaceutical companies, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, published their numbers. And it was found out that with the mRNA vaccine in particular, you're anywhere from 90 to 95% protected from getting COVID and almost 100% protected against severe infections, hospitalizations, death, shit that would put even more stress on an already stressed healthcare system. There's a big difference between saying that and then just being like, oh yeah, the vaccine doesn't work because you are just, you're lying. You're straight up lying. It's not true. You could even say, you can even say that about the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, the Android vaccine, <laughs> the Android of vaccine, as some people would say. But even that was still 75% effective. And it was less effective because it was a one-time shot and it was a different type of vaccine. And that's what dipshits like this talk about. They go and, well, they're grifters first and foremost because they're trying to shell their own, they're trying to shell their own treatment against COVID, whether it's drinking piss, whether it's taking Viagra, which whether it's doing a fucking neti pot, whether it's ivermectin, whether it's whatever. They're in it for them. And I don't give a fuck how highly credentialed, how intelligent, 
how important Robert Malone was to the development of the mRNA vaccine, even though he hadn't had any involvement in it after like 1990 or whatever the fuck it was. The grift is real. And when Peter McCullough gets his medical, um, what the fuck is the word? His medical certification stripped and every institution that he's associated with cuts ties with him. And he's going on this media tour to raise money for himself. It's a grift. They don't give a fuck. Like the idea of alternative medicine is just straight up bullshit. It's dangerous. Of course, when it's something like being a chiropractor, that's different. No one's going to die going to a chiropractor. But when you're not giving people the full story of how to protect themselves from COVID vaccine, like this shit has real consequences for a lot of people. 900,000 people have died in the United States alone because either either they died before the vaccine was available or the vaccine was available and they just refused to get it because it turns you gay, it feminizes you, it gives you autism, it doesn't it doesn't allow your foreskin to grow back or something. Like this is dangerous. And it's even more dangerous when you are someone like Joe Rogan and you have like 11 million monthly listeners on Spotify and you are very clearly now stuck in a far-right echo chamber. Joe Rogan is much different now. I still, I don't listen to as much Joe Rogan as I used to. I still consume him every now and then. That sounds a little suspect, but whatever. I still consume content from Joe Rogan and everything about him, his vibes, he fails the vibe check straight up now. He is 100% not passing the vibe check. He's not as critical of certain guests as I feel he is. I mean, he was super critical of Dr. Sanjay Gupta when he went on, but he didn't put that same approach towards Robert Malone or Peter McCullough. Peter McCullough. There is a there is a definite disconnect now between the old Joe Rogan and the new Joe Rogan. It's super bizarre. And like, if you are going to bring on Sanjay Gupta, and then you are going to bring on an alternative doctor, if you will, and you can't even give them the same treatment, that says a lot about where you stand now as an adult, where you have your convictions and you're just unwilling to compromise and you want to be a part of an echo chamber. Now, that's accepted as fact. If you said, I don't think cloth masks work, you would be banned from social media. Now, that's openly and repeatedly stated on CNN. If you said, I think it's possible that COVID-19 came from a lab, you'd be banned from many social media platforms. Now that's on the cover of Newsweek. All of those theories that at one point in time were banned were openly discussed by those two men that I had on my podcast that have been accused of dangerous misinformation. I do not know if they're right. I don't know because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a person who sits down and talks to people and has conversations with them. Do I get things wrong? Absolutely, I get things wrong, but I try to correct them. Whenever I get something wrong, I try to correct it because I'm interested in telling the truth. I'm interested in finding out what the truth is. And I'm interested in having interesting conversations with people that have differing opinions. Um, I'm not interested in only talking to people that uh, have one perspective. That's one of the reasons why I had Sanjay Gupta on, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, who I respect very much, and I really enjoyed our conversation Again, together. who he debate He lorded, has a different opinion the than way. those men do. The, I, same, the same guy 
Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Joe and Jocko Willink fucking talked about how Sanjay Gupta was naive for thinking that he was going to come in and roll Joe Rogan in a debate. And Joe was like, yeah, that's true. And I'm like, what What the actual fuck? What happened? Like, what happened to your eight brain? Right? Why are you debate lording a fucking medical professional? And I don't understand why Joe Rogan does not comprehend how this seeking differing opinions on medical topics is not perceived or I don't understand how we can't perceive that as dangerous. It's not like he's talking to someone like Dr. Carl Hart, for example, someone who is looking to find or is looking to make drug use more mainstream as however he may want to do that, whether it's taking light doses of certain drugs, like, you know, trying to shift away from where we are at now in the current pharmaceutical market. There's a difference between that and even that's kind of dangerous because you don't really want people taking hard drugs unsupervised and then talking about COVID and the vaccine and just giving out misinformation that's going to get people killed because ultimately it is. And another thing that I've noticed about Joe Rogan is that he's always like, oh yeah, you see this on CNN. You see this on MSNBC. You see this on Newsweek. Don't you think it's rather peculiar how he doesn't mention like Fox News, for example, a far right or a, f- a far right news network. You don't find that weird. Do you think maybe it's because Joe has the same the same intention as them to deceive, to misrepresent, to drum up outrage, shit like that? It's just rather convenient how he always attacks the left wing news outlets. Just a little weird had Dr. Dr. Michael Osterholm on at the very beginning of the pandemic. And he hasn't, um, hasn't had him on since, by the way. He is on President Biden's COVID-19 advisory board. I had uh, Dr. Peter Hotez on, who is uh, a vaccine expert. I'm interested in finding out what is correct and find, I'm also finding out how people come to these conclusions and what the facts are. Now, because of this controversy, and I'm sure there's a lot of other things going on behind the scenes with these controversies, but uh, Neil Young has removed his music from the the platform of Spotify and uh, Joni Mitchell and uh, apparently some other people want to as well. Um, I'm very sorry that they feel that way. I, I, I most certainly don't want that. Uh, I'm a Neil Young fan. I've always been a Neil Young fan. I'll tell you a story at the end of this about that. One of the things that Spotify wants to do that I agree with is that at the beginning of these controversial podcasts, like specifically ones about COVID, is to put a disclaimer and say that you should speak with your physician and that these people and the opinions that they express are contrary to the opinions of uh, the consensus of experts, which I think is very important. Sure, have that on there. I'm very- YouTube does this as well. Um, I think that's... A good thing. I think that's the bare minimum, to be honest. And even me, not a medical expert, have talked about COVID at various points on these on these broadcasts. And I've always said, talk to your doctor. I have these talks with my friends a lot of the time. I spoke to a lot of my friends who were hesitant about to get 
to get the vaccine. I gave them my input. I gave them my opinion. I gave them my experience. But I always said, if you have concerns, please talk to your doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm a guy who wears nail. I'm a guy who wears nail polish, and fucking shit posts on the internet. Don't take my opinion on this. Consult a medical expert. And even when I've been unsure about stuff, I've consulted medical experts. I've consulted my doctor. I've consulted whoever because this shit is dangerous, dude. And it shouldn't be just like, honestly, I would say it shouldn't be on only the controversial episodes. But if, if Joe is talking to a medical professional, put it on then. Even if it is a quote unquote mainstream medical professional, Dr. Michael Osterholm, uh, Peter Hotez, I don't even know who the fuck that is, but I forgot, I forgot where I was going to go with that. Fuck it. Very happy with that. Um, also, I think uh, if there's anything that I've done that I could do better is uh, have more experts with differing opinions right after I have the controversial ones. Uh, I would most certainly be open to doing that. This was what I was waiting for. Why was he not doing this from the beginning? You're Joe Rogan, dude. You know the type of platform that you have. Why? How do you overlook this? How is, how is this an oversight in your media empire? How does Jamie let this go unchecked? Maybe it's because Joe is now like kind of weaning himself off of Jamie. But how, dude? How? How? How do you oversee this? Maybe it's because he does have an agenda. It's amazing. And there was this one video on Reddit talking about how Joe was at one point like pro-vaccine when he was talking to Michael Osterholm, who I already mentioned, who he hasn't had back on yet. Like, how do you overlook this? Or if you are going to have these controversial experts on, utilize Jamie a little bit more. Or here's an idea. Maybe bring on an actual doctor or an actual epidemiologist to talk to these people. Because Ultimately, in the world of medicine, in the world of science, if you're a researcher, you're doing peer-reviewed studies. You're working with your colleagues to get to these, to get these results, to run these tests. Like that's the whole point of research is to collaborate and inform the public to help keep people safe. Like to to overlook this is super super dangerous. And uh, I would like to talk to some people that have uh, differing opinions on those podcasts in the future. We'll see. Um, you know, I do all the scheduling myself and uh, I don't always get it right. This, these podcasts are very strange because they're just conversations. And oftentimes I have no idea what I'm going to talk about until I sit down and talk to people. And that's why some of my ideas are not that prepared or fleshed out because I'm literally having them in real time. Um, but I do my best and they're just conversations. And I think that's also the appeal of the show. It's one of the things that makes it interesting. Um, so uh, I want to thank Spotify for being so supportive during this time. Uh, and I'm very sorry that this is happening to them and that they're taking so much heat from it. And so now the, the Neil Young story. Notice how he doesn't directly apologize for anything that he did. He doesn't apologize for any of his, of his actions. He's remaining neutral when he's not. He is 100% at fault. You claim to be the guy who just has conversations, which is true. Joe Rogan does merely converse with his guests, which is fine. I don't have an issue with that. But you know 
how to have conversations, how to have critically, how to have critically thinking based conversations. And those are just simply not present at the same volume as they used to be. Like you have to make these guys cite their sources, right? If you are talking to medical professionals, it is, it is literally their fucking job to keep up on the literature. Like ask them literally when you're talking to anyone who has a baby brain, anyone who's trying to peddle misinformation, if you just ask questions, they will quickly just turn into a puddle. They don't know how to deal with pushback. And if you just let them talk and you let them dictate the conversation, that's where you get lost in the weeds. That's why a lot of the times, like right-wing media in particular, is so good at perpetuating narratives because they have these fucking dickheads on their TV who bring on guests who aren't media trained, who don't know how to have conversations um, in real time, who aren't as, uh, I guess, well-spoken as a lot of these media people are, because ultimately, if you want to be a successful media person, you just have to know how to talk. You have to be you have to be pretty or handsome. Uh, you have to be attractive and you have to be articulate in most cases. Of course, being smart helps too. But when you're having these thoughts or these talks on mainstream networks in particular, they're so fucking disjointed. It's like two, three minute segments. Everyone's talking over each other. The appeal of Joe Rogan is that all of that was subverted, right? Like when he brought Bernie Sanders on the podcast or when he brought Dan Crenshaw on the podcast, even though Dan Crenshaw is a fucking dumbass, he was at least given the platform to explain his dog shit ideas, right? It was less intense, wasn't as fiery. Same thing with Bernie Sanders. You know, Joe would ask intriguing, thoughtful questions about you know, Bernie Sanders' thoughts on pharmaceutical companies, on socialized medicine, and stuff like that, which wasn't apparent on the mainstream news networks unless it was a town hall or something. But that's just not happening anymore. Like, there's no pushback. There's no, like, I'm not, I don't want to say there's no debate, like, no honest debate, but, like, it just seems that all of the things that made Joe so prominent are gone. And it's gone because... He has become corporatized. He got $100 million from Spotify. He doesn't have to operate the same way anymore. That's just, the, that's just how it is. It's different now that he's on Spotify and that he doesn't have to worry about protecting himself, I guess. That's, I think that's a really good way to look at it. When Joe was on YouTube and he was on independent platforms, you know, you can bring on controversial guests. And at least if you're a big creator, someone who gets their stuff manually reviewed all the time, that the person who's doing the review can at least see that you're not buckling to the misinformation. It's like you're putting up a fight and you're kind of like, you know, I don't really think that's true. Hey, Jamie, can you pull that up for us? That's gone now. That safety net is gone because Spotify, Joe knows that he can get away with more or less murder now that he's on Spotify because they're not going to buy him out. It's too much money. And what's the other reason here? Too much money. And they're just too they're just too invested into him at this point. So it's like he can kind of just fuck off and do whatever he wants. And I think it's it's very frightening. It's very frightening. And um I hope things get better for him. I hope that this is just a very, very, very massive bump in the road. Um but even if it does, like it's it's so exceptionally 
it's so exceptionally dangerous and you got to think about like the long-term ramifications of some of this stuff it's just it's a lot it's a lot and with that uh, we fucking did two hours today dude that's insane i'm gonna close this out if you watch this on twitch thank you for coming to hang out if you're listening to this in podcast form audio form thank you very much as always everything i'm associated with is down in the description below if you're listening to this on spotify or on apple Podcasts, leave a like leave a rating leave a review if you enjoyed this show tell a friend about it if you hated this show be sure to tell a friend about it as well all press is good press and with that i'll catch you guys in the next one